0: Hey, I'm your host, Matthew Ma. Welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. Today, we are talking with experienced estate planning and business succession specialist, Stephen Goodman. He's the president and CEO of SMG, SHG Planning, where he provides hundreds of clients with advice and solutions for wealth preservation and retirement. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Glad to have you here.
1: Matthew, thanks for having me on your show.
0: Cool. And right now, we just talk, spoke about a minute ago about, you know, just being on our show and you're located in Long Island, uh, New York right now, right? That's correct. Cool. And then how did you get started in, you know, real estate planning and, you know, financial advising?
1: Uh, You know, I, I started out in public accounting. I worked for a big accounting firm. I'm a CPA. Thanks. I then worked for a major bank in their private bank and uh, you know, was interested in some of the services that they provided. So I decided at that point in my life, I wanted to go on my own. So I went out and I got started in this area.
0: How does that go? Like for example, if you're starting in like, you know, financial advising and then how do you jump into actually going into estate planning and like, what does that really mean? What's the difference?
1: Well, look, I, I think to be very good at anything requires a few things, number one, you, you have to be somebody who likes to learn. So, you know, when I started out, I've always been a voracious reader. So, you know, basically spent a tremendous amount of time educating myself, taking courses. And then a lot of it is on the job experience, you know, like meeting people and finding new and challenging issues you've never seen before. And then once you've been doing it for a couple of years, you know, there's almost nobody I meet now that has a problem that I haven't seen before. (laughs) And it's not, even though I may give like a quick answer and I'm like, wow, how did you come up with that so fast? Well, you know, yeah, part of it is I like to think I'm good at what I do, but part of it is the experience of seeing those situations in the past.
0: Yeah, when you become great at something you do, it just becomes natural and then you're sharing your experiences, but it's so quick, but it's a lot of years of experience behind the scenes to really give you that quick answer.
1: Yeah, like some people like have a questionnaire and they ask questions. Everything's right out of my head. I don't have a questionnaire. I ask you a question based on your answer. I ask you another question and I don't know where I'm going. Like you're going to lead me there based on how you answer your
0: questions. Nice. And what's the difference for, for our guests? What's the difference between like financial advising and estate planning? Like how does that work together or how does that transition over?
1: Well, the problem is some of these words uh, are, are like, blurry yeah you know a financial advisor which generally means somebody who's managing your money will offer estate planning as one of the services that they provide to their clients even though their main service would be typically managing their money Mm -hmm. i'm more of a a estate planning business succession specialist so I'm not necessarily managing your money. I'm dealing with more sophisticated tax and planning strategies for very wealthy people.
0: Nice. And what is estate planning in de- kind of like in detail? Like what does that really mean?
1: Well, estate planning is usually made up of number 1, who are you going to leave assets to when you're not here? How are you going to divvy it up amongst your beneficiaries? When are they going to get it? like right after you die or over some period of time and what kind of strategies you can do both when you're alive and after you're gone to minimize a how much in taxes the government may get and b to minimize the fighting and litigation that could occur between your heirs.
0: That sounds really important. Why are not more people doing that and setting up their estate planning?
1: Well, it's probably due to a few reasons, Matthew. Number one, uh, most successful entrepreneurs uh, focus on what they need to do to today. They're putting out fires. They have issues that are currently important. They don't think they're going to die tomorrow. So they say, well, why can't I do it tomorrow? And then why can't I do it on Saturday and then Sunday and Monday and Tuesday? And every week goes by into the next Saturday and Sunday. And as long as they're alive and they're healthy, it's okay to keep doing that. The problem is none of us could predict that. So it's it's A, not budgeting time for for planning. It's B, not wanting to think about dying. It's not wanting to spend money on lawyers, accountants, insurance, um, and making decisions that could be how you treat your children different from one another. And you don't wanna think about it because if they understood how you were doing it, somebody's not gonna be happy and it's gonna lead to family disharmony.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And a lot of people like I, even I talk to people, they don't want to talk about, you know, trust, estate planning, death, insurance. And they just feel that, like you mentioned before, they just feel that, um, you know, they're good and strong right now. They can just avoid it for now, but now it becomes later and then they forget about it or it's too late. And then that becomes a big issue because like in real estate, when you're dealing with probate sales, like I wish you could have avoided that up front if you knew beforehand and you planned beforehand, but the cost is really inexpensive, but the, just the thought process and actually going through, filling out questionnaires and information and actually planning what would happen if you were not here or if you were a vegetable. And it's tough to want to talk about that in life.
1: You're right. And, and probably one of the biggest misconceptions, I've had this said to me hundreds of times since I've been in business, like an accountant will say, Oh, you know, Steve, I got this client I wanna send to you, but you know, they're so successful. Like I'm sure they have this all taken care of. And I try to say to people, look, you could have the best accountant, the best attorney, the best team, but if nobody on that team, see what a skill that you need above and beyond just being smart is being somebody who knows how to motivate and move people to take action. And a lot of accountants and attorneys are not good at that. They're very smart. They know their stuff, but they're not good at moving people to take action. And if you don't have somebody on the team that's good at doing that, there's a high likelihood that stuff hasn't been taken care of because without that person on the team, it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and I notice that too. Like, I guess for just say, for example, normal people, you know, medium wage earners or even high income earners, they're not building. It's hard though. But for example, they're not spending time to build a team around their life, around their businesses, around their financials, and to say, hey, actually, I'm doing really well in corporate life, work life, entrepreneurship. And then I need to think about like, hey, I need a you know estate planner. I need, you know, for example, if I'm doing a trust, LLCs, I need lawyers, I need CPAs, I need a team to actually work around what I'm doing in life to create that business succession for their kids. But they don't sometimes they don't find the right people to do that. They don't think about it, they don't know who to talk to, they don't know what they need, and they don't know how expensive it it can get or how it can be treated like an investment if you think about it that way.
1: No, no, you're right. And, yeah. And I think that one of i would say one of the biggest mistakes that people make is and i I understand why they do it because you know they don't want to deal with this but a lot of people are not open minded like they have an accountant they have an attorney oh i took care of this already and it's like what i almost feel like saying to them you know let's say it's an electrical contractor that has a successful business And it's almost like me saying to the person, like, if you came into my house, me telling you that all my electrical contracting has been taken care of, like, what do I know about electrical contracting? Like, how do I know that there isn't a problem in my house? I don't even know exists, you know? So how will you as an electrical contractor know that everything's been taken care of? What you do know is you have advisors that you trust and you're relying that they've done the right things for you. And I'm not saying that they haven't, but you don't know they have. And and it isn't necessarily that they haven't done the right things, but nobody knows everything. And some yeah. somebody else can come in and bring an idea that hasn't been thought about by your current advisors that could be helpful to you. But if you're closed-minded to never want to let anybody else in because you think you have your team, then, you know, hope good luck to you. You know Maybe it'll be okay, but maybe it won't.
0: That's a hard part, too, because, for example, they have to challenge themselves to be open to really discuss these things and to really look at it and spend the time and the money to consider it because it is a big, valuable, important thing in creating succession, right? And just the time alone to put into it, like, we're all busy, COVID's going on, no one wants to deal with anything. We're thinking about it, but, you know, people are, you know, not here anymore. And then what happened to all those people and, like, how is their estate planning Um, how has that been throughout the past year and a half, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll give you like a little example, because I think people who listen, when you make it very practical, they can say, wow, that's my situation. So let's use this situation. You have a business and you got two kids in your business. Make it simple. Two daughters are in your business and you're the owner. And I say, you know, Matt, uh, how long have your kids been in business? And you go, well, one of my daughters has been in business for, 16 years and the other one for nine years and i say well let me ask you a question do your two daughters get paid the same amount of money and you go no my daughter who's been in the business for 16 years gets paid more than my other daughter said okay i go are the two of your daughters equally talented probably not you know like my older daughter it could be the younger daughter could be either is probably better equipped to run the business so let me ask you matt when you die right now in your plan, who gets the stock in the business when you're not here anymore? Let's assume you and your wife for simplicity. Oh, I leave it 50 50 to my two daughters. Well, I, I, that makes sense. I got two daughters. I love them the same. 50 50. So I go, Matt, let me ask you a question. You're dead. They bury you, they have the wake or the whatever, depending what religion you are. First day back in the office younger sister knocks on older sister's door and says sis I, I need to have a conversation with you you know we're now 50 50 owners like dad was paying you four hundred thousand dollars a year I was only getting paid 250 thousand like we're now gonna get paid the same amount of money we're 5050 owners in this business like you don't think that's gonna happen dad as soon as you're gone like have you thought about that have you like talked about that with your daughters have you do you have a any agreements in place, management agreements, compensation agreements, like, have you thought about this? No, 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 no. So how long do you think it's going to take between the time that your two daughters aren't speaking to each other anymore and they're not going to one another's homes for Thanksgiving and the holidays and the the business goes down the toilet because they can't make any decisions because they're fighting with each other. So, like, that's, I mean, that's one of, like, hundreds of these kinds of things that I could tell you that people don't take care of because they don't want, they're afraid to take care of it. So they just kind of let it go.
0: That's very true. And I see that happen in real estate too, where, you know, when the family gives the house to the kids and the kids fight over the percentages and ownership and what to do next, um, it gets tough. And then they deal with legal losses for years. And basically at the end of the day, the lawyers come out winning, the the owners, the new owners don't. Yeah, because one kid
1: says, oh, the house looks like, you know what, mom and dad haven't put money into it. Let's put money and the other kids. I don't want to put the money. Yeah, You know, well, why don't we sell the house? Well, I don't want to sell the house. Well, I'll buy the house from you. How much will you pay me? Oh, that's not enough money. (laughs) You know, and I mean, look, litigation relating to wealth is almost always between siblings and second spouses and kids from the first marriage. That's almost always where the litigation occurs. It's one of those situations. So a lot of times parents are like, oh, my kids love each other. Oh, they would never fight. And I said, you, you will never have the opportunity to know your children when you're not here anymore. You're never gonna be given that experience. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, you're not gonna know it. And there's stuff deep down in your kids that they won't let out in front of you. And they're going to talk about when you're not here anymore. So you're living in a dream world. If you think your kids are going to get along with everything, It just, that's just not the way it is in the real world.
0: Yep. And then most of the, most of the parents will say, well, I'm not here no more. They'll figure it out themselves. And they really don't. They fight.
1: You want to happen.
0: That's
1: why. Look at it this way. I think I'm a parent. I don't know if you are, Matt. Yeah, I am too. But parent at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and you're upstairs, God willing, looking down, there's two things that you're gonna, you're gonna grade yourself on. Are my children good people? Like, are they good human beings? Do they know what's right and wrong? Like, who cares if my son's a billionaire, but he he's, has six wives and like, he doesn't talk to his kids. Like, you know, are they good people? And what is the relationship like between my children with one another? And at the end of the day, if your kids are killing each other, you're going to look back and say, some of that I got to take responsibility for. There was something I didn't do right. It's not 100 percent my fault, but some of it is because of me. And as a parent, no parent wants that.
0: Yeah, no parent wants to deal with that. They hopefully they think the kids would do fine without them here, and then they'll just figure it out, but it really doesn't come down to that because, yeah, there's so many different variables in real estate and housing and income and uh, business that it's hard to, like, really think about how it works, but you really, as a parent, you need to actually understand your kids, understand what their goals are, how to help create that succession for them, so that way you can actually pass it along correctly to the way they operate as well, and hopefully you have a business plan for them to take over your entrepreneurship businesses and create that succession, right? and it's tough to talk about that in time to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Matt, I'll give you another example, because like I said, I think these are, when you talk about real stuff, people can Mm -hmm. grasp it. So you're a young guy, you Mm -hmm. have young children, so you and your wife sit down together and you say, okay, let's do a will. And the first big fight you're gonna have when you do a will is who's the guardian of your kids if something happens to you guys? I don't want your parents. You don't want my parents. I don't want your brother. You don't want my sister. So sometimes young people don't do wills because they can't agree on a guardian, even though it only means something if they die together. Yep. Because if you and I are married, and you pick your brother, and you die first. I'm just going to change my will and have it be my brother. So <laughs> if we die in a car accident or a plane crash, then it's relevant. But let me give you another example like that. So so I pick you. You're my brother. And I pick you to be the guardian of my kids. And I'm wealthier than you. Okay? And you agree to be the guardian of my kids. And I die. And your house isn't big enough to accommodate my kids. So you've now taking on this unbelievable responsibility. And now you're going to have my kids like living in a room with your kids. Yep. So, so that's the first problem. Then I'm going to leave money and trust for my kids and you're going to be the trustee. And you know, my kids are used to going to like a nice camp every summer and your kids don't go to as nice of a camp. So now you're going to take money from my trust to pay for my kids to go to a nice camp while your kids are sitting playing with a fire hydrant on a corner, because they mm-hmm. can't afford to go to the same camp. Like, how, how do you think my kids are gonna get along with your kids if my kids are going to a nice camp and your kids are sitting home not going to camp?
0: That's so, super difficult. You have a lot of conflicts in there.
1: You see where I'm going? Like, people don't think about these things. So like, when my kids were young, I made sure I left enough money to my guardians to build a bigger house expand their house and buy a bigger house and they could keep the money it was for them just I, I don't want my kids to be a burden and you know what when my kids go to camp i want you to take some of this money and send your kids to camp too i don't want your kids not doing what my kids are doing like i want everybody to live together happily and if you can't afford to do it well you know what you're taking on a responsibility that's that doesn't have a price tag to it and that is you're taking care of my kids when my wife and i aren't there how could I possibly not want you to have some of those things, you know? But most people just, they don't think about it. You know, it's like, at most attorneys, they don't they don't ask these things. So it's like, who's your guardian? Who's your trustee? Who who you gonna, they don't think like, is the person able to be the guardian? Could they afford to be the guardian? Like, these are other no. questions that I ask people that a lot of times people don't go, get asked. And I could see you shaking your head. Like, yeah. like, like this is stuff that, like, You don't think about, but somebody's got to ask these questions or it's going to end up a situation that
0: isn't good. Yeah, and the reason I shake my head is because I actually see that like when I talk to different lawyers I know I can see some of some people they have really basic questionnaires Just like what you just mentioned here. Who's who who does what and that's it But then the more thorough ones will actually ask you in details: if this happens this happens this happens Then here's what you do and you actually think about it, you're like hey, actually that person doesn't work really well I don't think they'll be the right fit because of all these different scenarios You didn't think of unless you got asked that question. That's so right.
1: That's why yeah because it's you don't, you don't have the expertise to think of everything. I mean, some stuff's common sense, but yeah. some stuff is not. So I'm just raising some of these things. I mean, we could do this for hours, <laughs> after scenario after scenario, but that's kind of what I do. My, part of my job is to make you think about things you don't think about and to tell you what ways you can handle it. I never tell you what you should do. My job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to tell you what are the different ways you can do it. And then you have to decide which is best for you. Okay.
0: Nice. So let's talk about the breakdown of like how you, people actually get started, how clients actually get started. So I'm gonna go with this. When you're young and you're going to school and everything, your parents raise you. they're you know, you get a job and everything. But no one really talks about. Okay, the first thing they talk about is okay, you probably need accounting, a CPA person to help you because you're building up your income now. Then, okay, if you buy a house, you need insurance for your cars, for your houses. Uh, then, you know, like how, the next step is okay, now you own a house, then you probably want to get a trust set up, and then they go through that route. But then. The step after that people don't really talk about like hey let's talk about asset protection let's talk about estate planning let's talk about wills and you know death like further down than the trust line right like people don't go into that detail so when, when do people actually start talking about uh, estate planning
1: well you know it's interesting you said what you just did matthew because there's no question that one of the biggest problems we have in society yep. is that personal finance is not taught in school like when you yeah. graduate from high school, when kids graduate from high school, they should already be educated in so many different things before they go to college, like real world stuff, you know, like, yep. you know, so, and then when they graduate, it's like, like, is there a course to be a parent? Like one day <laughs> your wife's pregnant, the next day you bring the, to the hospital and now you're a parent. Like you couldn't drive a car without taking lessons and getting a license, but they'll let anybody walk out of the hospital with a kid. Yeah, Like you don't know what it is to be a parent, you know? So it's the same thing. Like there's so many financial things that people just, they have no education for. They don't, they don't know who to ask. They don't know who the right people to ask, you know, over time. Yeah. They get an accountant, they get an attorney, they kind of find people, but they should be much better educated on, what they have to ask their advisors, not just
0: be there to listen to what
1: the advisors tell them
0: exactly i think there's yeah like will smith says you know for example there needs to be a really good education around financial literacy like in our 2021 we're lacking a lot of financial literacy for people right and the fact is that we really need to understand this because people see it as a way like okay these guys are just selling me products i don't even need i don't even make enough money to need it but really you do need it at some point you actually do need all of this but then to think about it and get started is hard because now you have to self-educate yourself parents might not have done it yet that's okay but now you have to really learn and figure out who to trust and what they're saying is actually good for you or good for them it's difficult to understand and then when you look at like wealthy um wealthy owners entrepreneurs and people they have created that and i'm sure they taught their kids about business succession understanding all these things and having real financial literacy
1: yeah i mean some do some don't you know yeah, as i said earlier Every family is every family is very different. Yeah. You know when it comes to this type of stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and it's difficult. Like, where do people start learning about estate planning? When do they start doing it? And like, how do they come to work with you?
1: Well, look, estate planning is a very broad term. Mm-hmm. Doing a will is estate planning. Usually, when I say estate planning, I'm talking about wealthy people who are doing planning to minimize taxes and maximize what they give their kids. Mm-hmm. That's different than a young person who doesn't have the assets, but still needs to do a will and a trust. And a. you have things like healthcare proxies and living wills and durable powers of attorney. Every state's a little different. A durable power of attorney is more, if I'm not dead, I'm just in a coma or, you know, I bang my head. You know, I'm not functioning. Who could do financial things for me when I'm in that state? You know, then there's the living will, which is the Apollo plug or not. Then there's healthcare proxies like I'm in a coma and somebody has to make a medical decision. I can't make that decision for myself because I'm in a coma. Who's been given the right to do it? So the doctors don't have to have liability because they listen to the wrong person to make a medical decision, so like that's estate planning in its mm-hmm. basic sense. But I would say as soon as minimum, when you have children, but even maybe when you get married before having kids, there's usually a certain amount of basic estate planning documentation that needs to be done. Assuming you don't have a lot of money, if if one or both parties are coming into the marriage with a lot of money, then there's prenups. You know, then it becomes much more sophisticated. In when you you know two families are kind of merging together that have wealth obviously anytime a significant thing happens in your life you have another child you get divorced there's a death you get married uh you know you have a major change financially positively or negatively the tax laws change like you know any of those events take place is a reason why you need to relook at what you have
0: nice how often should we be looking at that re-looking at it
1: i would say if none of the other things change no deaths no divorces no major health changes wealth changes tax law changes every few years you should take a look at it but generally the tax laws change every time you have a new president so it's kind of like especially if it's from a different party so you know every few years is usually a reasonable period of time
0: Cool. So let's jump into the more advanced topic of, you know, succession planning and wealth preservation. So, for example, you have a new client come in, a real estate professional, investors, you know, people who have money. Um, when, when they come to work with you, what do you? what's the first thing you do with them?
1: Uh, first off, I ask them what made them come in to see me. Come I mean, am to see somebody who does what I do, because that will give me a little bit of a feel of what's on their mind. And then, as I said, I just ask a lot of questions. And like I said, it's not formal. It's kind of like I ask you based on how you answer it. I ask you something else and I kind of get around to asking everything, but it's not in a set way. It's kind of rather than straight down, it's kind of in circles. As we delve into different topics.
0: Okay, so let's play a role play example. Hey, you know, I'm a young guy. I have you know two kids now, and I you know I'm in real estate investing. I'm a real estate agent as well, and then I want to figure out how to maximize my tax benefits while preserving and creating a, a succession plan for the kids to you know if we're not here.
1: Okay, so yeah. what, like a like a, a make believe interview is what. Yeah, you're
0: doing. exactly. Like yeah. you know, just figure out like how do I what do I do.
1: Oh, sure. So like you would come at it and, and, and I would, like I said, so Matt, you coming in to see me kind of what's on your mind. What, what made you decide to meet with a person that does what I do?
0: Yeah. Some people talk about for me, like they talked about, Hey, you should think about you're doing well now. You should think about asset protection. You should think about wealth preservation and how to protect it for your kids. So like now I started looking up, for example, Hey, estate planning, that's something that I should be looking at. Hey, Steve, what do I do? What, no, what's the next step for me?
1: Okay, so Matt, how old are you?
0: Uh, for me, I'm personally, I just turned 40.
1: Well, you could make believe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and you're married?
0: Yeah, I'm married. Two is kids.
1: Your first marriage?
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> first and only, right? Hopefully. Hopefully.
1: Any children? Yeah, two. How old?
0: Let's say five and one.
1: Five and one. Okay, is your wife, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do.
0: So for, yeah, for example, I'm a real estate agent and an investor, and I'm looking to build and maximize we- my wealth and tax preservation.
1: Okay. Do you have multiple companies? Do you have one company? How do you, how, how many companies yeah. operate?
0: Yeah, I would say most real estate agents probably run one or two companies, like, you know, for example, sales, and they might, might be investing passively as well or actively.
1: So I, I assume, though, when you buy properties, you put each one like in a separate LLC, you're not so, putting all of them into one LLC, correct?
0: So let's say, for example, most people, they probably would start off with just themselves, husband and wife, investing first. And later, as they build up, they would start considering to do LLCs. Um, my, my CPA, for example, says, oh, you don't need an LLC yet. Insurance agents might say you don't need it yet until you hit a certain dollar amount. And after that, then you should consider LLCs. So I'm just giving you different kind of examples people say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in not having things in your name. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a believer that you should have an LLC if you have real estate that's an investment. I'm not talking about your home necessarily. Mm-hmm. If you have real estate that's an investment, I think every time you have a new investment, it should be in a separate LLC. You don't want to have liability issues that could impact, you know, a different property. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in putting things in trust. That not just for tax reasons, but for asset protection in case you get divorced, in case you get sued, in case your kids get sued. So I think it's really important that you do that. Um, now you have a couple of you have a, a business that does your real estate selling. Let's say you have another business for for your investments. Um, do you have any employees in your business, your your real estate broker, or is it just you?
0: I would say just me for for the most part would be just me. And then um, most uh, younger profession, investor professionals probably just have them, their wives, uh, if they have an assistant, maybe it's as a VA assistant, a contractor assistant. But for the most part, most people start with just that basic level.
1: Okay. And approximately how much money do you make from your real estate business?
0: Yeah, let's say in the Bay Area, people most likely make between 250 to 500k in the investing in the sales side of things if they're doing top professional. And then, in terms of investing, um, you know, people are building their equity and their um residual incomes over time, but it just it, everyone's a little bit different. But we'll just start with the basic, like hey, they let's, bought them. Let's make with
1: operating company, so let's say you make mm-hmm. 400,000. Yeah,
0: pick a number, yeah.
1: Um, how much of that 400,000 Matt, do you and your wife need to live your life
0: um i w- i would say in the barrier most people probably need minimum like minimum probably like 10k but most people will price uh, you know go work towards 50k a- 25 50k a month okay
1: so 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 right now are you after paying taxes are you saving mm-hmm. any money
0: uh yeah Definitely, most people who, who um, have some real estate will save a lot because of that residual income from the rentals paying, paying down their mortgages have positive net income along with their own jobs from um, employee jobs and real estate sales jobs would have, you know, can save quite a bit.
1: Okay, so here's, here's one of the things that, you know, could be different with each individual. So <laughs> if one has a, a operating company and they make more money than they need to live on, and they're not in the real estate business, mm-hmm. then many times I would recommend they set up some sort of a pension plan, especially if they don't have any employees, so that they could start putting away a lot of money and reduce their taxes, okay, and and save a lot in taxes and build up a retirement. The problem is that a lot of real estate people will say, I don't want to lock it into a pension plan. I'd rather pay the tax on it. I may get some tax savings from my real estate. And this way I could use that money to buy more real estate. Yeah. my retirement. Yeah. So yeah, you could see where that could go in different directions. Okay. Um, then I would say, all right, Matt, when, when, did you do a will last? Like when's the last time you did your will?
0: Yeah. I would say uh, when you get married, Usually parents will say, hey, you should think about when you get married, you own a house, you should start creating a trust, uh, a will, and you know get that planned out. Not everyone does it, though. I know some people who got married five, ten years later, they still haven't done it.
1: Okay, so let's say I'm talking to you and you say, mm-hmm. okay, I did my will. Yep. And you say, I did it six, seven years ago. Matt, have you looked at your will? Like, mm-hmm. Have you ever looked at it since you?
0: <laughs> no, okay. most people not.
1: So that's going to be one of the first things we need to do, because you may find that you picked people in the will to be guardian, to be trustee, to be executor, which I can explain in a minute some of the differences, that maybe aren't the right people anymore. You, things have changed in the last five to six years. Friendships have gotten better, have gotten worse. Family members. So we need to take a look at that. Do you do you remember who you picked as guardians? Um. Yeah,
0: I kind of do, but some, for example, some people moved away. Some people are not as good as they were. Um, some people are better, and they're just super busy. Haven't talked to them about it. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: assume that since you, if your kids go off a bit lost, you and your wife, and they have friends from where they live, that you would prefer if you had a guardian that lives where they could go to the same schools and have the same friends so they don't, they're totally uprooted to another state or a city. And not only don't they have their parents, but they don't have any of their friends anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Not everyone has thought about that. Right. That's a good, good information, Steve. Yeah. Some people have moved away. I don't want my kids to change schools right now. Look, you may have to, because the
1: person you think is best to be guardian doesn't live where you live, but you at least you should think about that. Uh, some of these are going to be like what we talked about before. But Pat, the person who's the guardian right now for your kids, are they
0: wealthy? Um, Pretty good. Pretty good. They're okay.
1: How big of a house do they have?
0: Uh, just normal size in San Francisco Bay Area. You know, they're pretty – like 1,200, 1,500 square feet. Not too big. How many kids do they have? Two.
1: I- I'm assuming – <laughs> how many bedrooms do they have in their house? Uh, I, think,
0: uh, I think three.
1: Right, yeah. and kids, right?
0: Yep. If they become the guardian of your kids, where are your kids gonna sleep? I haven't thought about that. I guess the basement now, because there is no room for them as they, don't, they already have their room set up for themselves. They're not, they're not gonna give it to me.
1: Right, right. It's, My kids. and and you can't expect them to go out and buy a bigger house mm. just for your kids.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: What about maybe you need to think about how to handle that because you're not going to want your kids sleeping in a basement.
0: <laughs> yeah, very true. Okay, it's something to think about. Do you, do, if I leave money and trust to your kids, is the
1: guardian somebody who's super sophisticated from an investment standpoint?
0: Yeah, pretty sophisticated, but probably not as uh, risk averse as I would be in terms of like moderate risk investing, you know?
1: So do you think maybe it would be important? to pick a co-trustee, somebody else who you, or, or tell them who you want them to pick to manage your money and to oversee it.
0: Hmm, that's a good idea, I should think about that. And it'd be probably two heads are better than one and kind of like they can discuss the best way for it to raise the kids.
1: Because, you know, if you die and you leave them money and you haven't dire- given them any direction, they're not gonna know what to do.
0: Yeah. yeah. I haven't spent time making a playbook for them exactly how I built my wealth over time. Right? Like no one sits there and writes everything down. Like, here's how, what they should continue doing. Here's the investment properties that we own. Here's how we should continue to hold it, sell it. Or what, what's the next step? People really need to think about that.
1: If they're not in your will,
0: but
1: mm-hmm. out. Yeah. yeah. Like a book, here's every property. These are the properties you should sell. These are the properties. You keep. This is, these are some of the, this is some of the brokers or the buyers that I trust that you could talk to about selling the property to them. These are the people to go to for good tax advice. Okay. Another thing is, I think you told me in a previous answer, Matt, that your lifestyle is a little higher than the lifestyle of the person who would be the guardian. You know, you wouldn't want, like if you left your kids with that person, you want your kids to still go to the same camp during the summer that you know, they're going to now. But The Guardian, you said, their kids don't go to as nice a camp.
0: Yeah. Don't so they? we have to think about that now and yeah. how, to take, how to make that happen, like we talked about earlier, how to yeah. make that happen.
1: So they could maybe go to the same camps as your kids. So it's not like an uncomfortable situation, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, these people are going to watch your kids until they become 18. That's That's a job that doesn't have a price tag to it. You know, you want to make sure that you think about those things,
0: right? Yeah. Okay. So I'll think about that. And I guess I want to ask too, like, what techniques, um, can I do to improve, um, the planning process of it to help for the taxation benefits? And like, how do I utilize utilize that? And like pass it over to the kids too. Like, what am I doing here in, with the state planning?
1: Well, first of you have to realize that in today's day and age, current laws from a federal standpoint a husband and wife could have like 23 million dollars of assets before there's going to be any estate tax now Mm -hmm. five president we'll see there's a lot of things being talked about um but that's a pretty big estate so So before
0: wasn't it before um five million and then went to ten million and now you're mentioning
1: the million that it was five million Yeah, went to ten million then then when Trump became president, it became like $10 million a person. Then it got adjusted for inflation. So it's up to about $23 million between a husband and wife. That's so a lot. Very, very wealthy. Yeah. The conversation that you don't need to spend a lot of time on. If you're very wealthy, then you have to look at, do I want to start giving away some of these assets? Like, I just bought this piece of real estate or piece of land that I developed I bought it for $2 million, but I think after I develop it, it could be worth $25 million. So I don't want that in my estate. So if that land and a trust, in my kids. I develop it in the trust. And this way, all that appreciation will occur in the trust, which won't be part of my estate. And this way, when I die, my kids don't have to pay
0: taxes on it. that's actually actually a good plan too because you just mentioned for example if you know your cap as a 23 where you don't want to pay taxes then you mentioned you know creating another trust setting that up putting the property gifting the property there and then having that trust itself living trust build up itself too right
1: well yeah i mean it's more complicated than that Mm -hmm. basically it's getting assets that were in your name and getting those assets over to your children generally you want to do trust because you don't want to Give them things outright for all the reasons I mentioned before. You know, lawsuits, divorces, creditors. You know, things like that.
0: Yeah, you don't want people coming after you for your name, and you put your name everywhere, then people will start finding you. But the more you set up trust LLCs and start diversifying that out of out of your own personal names, the harder it gets. But even at the same time, people know you own these things. It's just harder because you get extra protection throughout these uh, different assets, right? Hundred percent, hundred. percent nice so for example if you're under 23 million dollars then you, you have a easier time in the sense that you're still building your wealth and everything but in the planning process is a little bit easier but once you start hitting 23 million plus then you really have to look deeper into the planning the taxation the succession passing it through to your kids your family and how to really manage that wealth right 100 okay and then you specialize in clients you know who have built a successful business so far and then once you know when you start talking to them about it in the beginning, they probably have a lot of it set up already. Um, you help, do you help them review the process, what they have done already? Give them your advice on what you, they might want to look at, change, um, update? Well,
1: look, I think the
0: first thing you
1: need to do with people who have done stuff already,
0: look yeah.
1: what they've done, to see where they are today. Like if something happened to them today, this is where they are. And then what I try to do is tell them what I like about what they've done. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what I don't like about what they've done, but what things they've done that I think they need to be aware of certain problems that could occur. And then to tell them, these are other ways you could accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. And here's why they may be better than what you've done. So you have to get them to buy in because a lot of people like to think they're smart and they don't want to be told that what they did was wrong or stupid. So I try never to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if I think there's better ways to do things, I have to at least let them be aware how they could handle these things differently, and explain to them why. And sometimes they'll change, and sometimes they won't.
0: That's a good point. Because, for example, even with lawyers, like even in law, which I'm not a lawyer, but even from example, like there's no one right way. There's so many different ways, and to see something, and it, there's different strategies to go about it. There's no one there is a good way but then to find the best way you really need a team to figure out what's the best strategy for you personally but in the sense that there's so many different ways to accomplish the same thing and which one's better you have to really think about what your overall goal is to get there
1: yeah look it's like you're a real estate investor some real estate investors (laughs) like to buy houses some real estate investors like to buy multiple you know multiple family homes some like shopping centers some like office buildings some like apartment buildings you know it's like one isn't bad and the other good. It's, they all could be very lucrative if you're good at it, um, but different people have different reasons to go to different directions. Look, there are certain things that are blatantly wrong to do and a certain things that are generally good idea to do. But in between those two, there's a lot of grayness that isn't always good or always bad. And you got to kind of see if it fits that individual. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. What are some of the basic things that you see when you meet people and look over their, um, their, their setup? What do you see that they could improve generally off the bat?
1: Well, we've talked about a few of them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Besides, besides those, is there any other uh, basic things you see, any rules of succession that you see they could instantly improve besides the family attributes?
1: Well, clearly
0: business wise,
1: clearly people that own operating businesses, mm-hmm. especially the people who have kids in their business, there are so many things that they have typically not thought about that could happen. And and I need to explain to what I try to tell everybody is, you have a plan. Like right now, Matt, you have a plan. You may not view it as a plan, but you have a plan. If you yeah. die tomorrow, something's gonna happen. Your will's gonna say something your business is either gonna fail or succeed. You know, there's a plan. It may not have been planned out, but there's a plan, you know? And I think a lot of times people almost view like if they don't do anything, that because they didn't make a decision, they're comforted because they're not comfortable making a decision, so they view like, oh, I feel good because I didn't make a decision. No, you actually did make a decision. Like if you don't have a will, there's what's called dying intestate, which means every state's different, which means dying without a will. The state will determine how your assets get divvied up because they're going to say, well, if you were stupid enough to not sit down and do a will, we have to have a, a way that we think most people would have divvied up their assets in that circumstance. And that's how they're going to do it because you're not there to ask. So you have a plan. It's not going to be the plan you'd want
0: that's the plan.
1: Okay, if you don't do something, so are you better off doing nothing and that being your plan? Like, are you okay doing nothing? And that's going to be what happens if you do nothing. And you're going to, no, that would be really terrible. So obviously we need to do something. Even if you can't think about every decision, let's at least do some things that'll put you in a better position and you'll be under that plan.
0: So let's talk about that. How do you help um, you know, successful people preserve their wealth? You mentioned taxation benefits, um, the estate planning process, but how, did, how does that work in terms of preserving the wealth?
1: Well, obviously, anything you do that reduces the amount the government's going to get either today or when you die was preserving your wealth because more money that doesn't go to the government goes to your family, so that's one way of preserving your wealth. Properly protecting assets in the event of a divorce or getting sued is preserving your wealth, because if any of those things happen and you haven't done things properly, somebody else is going to get to your assets, which means less of it's going to be there for you and your family. So, you know, it's tax planning, it's asset protection planning, it's it's management of your money, the better job somebody does, whether you do it or whether an advisor does of managing your money and paying as little income taxes as possible on the growth of your money, the more wealth you're going to preserve and the more that you're going to pass on to your children.
0: Can you give us some examples of how to do that? Like what part like, for example, if you own real estate assets, if you own a business, how are you um, helping with the taxation side of things to preserve it, to pass it on?
1: Well, I've given you some examples. Mm -hmm. You set up a pension plan.
0: Okay, pension, yeah. Plan. You're reducing
1: how much you pay in income taxes, Mm You a plan. That plan is generally free of creditors. Generally a creditor can't get at them. That was like one of the assets OJ Simpson had like when obviously the family went after all his money, you know, Nicole's family, they couldn't get at it. Like a retirement plan that he had that had a few million dollars in it. Okay. So that's one item. Second thing, as I said, is putting things in LLC so that if there's ever a lawsuit, you know, you're know, you protected personally. They can only go after the assets in the LLC. If you're going to give things to your kids, putting it in trust so that if they ever get divorced, those assets can't get to their spouses. And if they ever get sued, those assets can't get to the creditor. And also if you're given to them in a proper trust, when you die, it's not going to be part of your estate so they're going to keep all that money, and they're not going to pay estate taxes. So you could have a forty to fifty percent estate tax on your assets. That's that's you know fifty to sixty percent more money that's going to your family. So
0: nice. those- that's, that's really smart because basically, like you mentioned, getting everything out of your personal names into trusts, LLCs, um, divvying it out in that way with wills, um, and limiting your own personal exposure to everything throughout um, makes it a, a lot smarter and a lot. Better, and you just have to have the right team to help you manage it, manage yourself. Here's all the things you have set up for all that with a playbook,
1: right? And you also can't do it when you know you're going to be sued. for <laughs> So, you can't like say, oh, I'm going to control everything. Oh my god, I think someone's going to sue me and I'm going to move all my money. You're gonna have a hard time doing it. You have to plan these things, everything is good. And then, you know, someone couldn't come back to you and say, oh, well, this guy transferred all this money in his wife's name or a trust. Yeah, but I did it 10 years ago. Nobody was going after me. That was part of my planning. So you can't, like, unwind something somebody did 10 years ago.
0: Nice. So people got to start planning sooner than later. And hopefully no one ever gets sued. But it happens and things happen. And people get divorced. Those things happen. Kids fight. So if you can plan ahead of time for everything, then it's harder for them to come after you for those things, especially
1: without a question.
0: What special challenges do like realtors and, and, and active investors, real estate professionals um, deal with when doing wealth preservation strategies?
1: Uh, well, I look one issue that they have is they're very illiquid. So if they're very wealthy, I'm talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars and they die and their money is all tied up in real estate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: government wants to get paid their estate taxes, there's no liquidity, so they have really three choices. They're going to have property sold when they die, and people are going to know why it's being sold and they're never going to have value. They're going to have to go out and mortgage their properties, which they may not be able to do. Or they a lot of people buy life insurance. Life insurance is a great tool to provide liquidity to a wealthy family's estate to pay the taxes.
0: Yeah. I hear about that too i hear like some really wealthy professionals they use uh, life insurance whole life policies to cover the planet so that way if they were ever to be gone they use that money to pay for the taxes if needed right and that's after 23 million now
1: right exactly
0: okay and that can change anytime but yeah. so that's what they're doing at a high level because you mentioned too like yeah who wants to sell the real estate like you spend so much time building all this real estate and you're gone now you need to sell it and pay taxes on it that's not look, fun.
1: like look if if if, if matt You had a piece of property you wanted to sell, you would try to find the right time to sell it to the right buyer. But if you had to sell it in the next nine months, people are going to find out there's a desperate seller. And if you're dead, the person selling it may not have the expertise you had to sell it at the best value. So nobody wants to put their heirs in that position.
0: Yeah. And that happens quite too often too for people. Yeah, I mean,
1: picture in 2020, having to sell real estate or, or in 2008, you know, when we had the financial crisis, you know, God doesn't you know, necessarily always allow you to have those things take place at the right time
0: okay yeah that makes exact sense yeah no one wants to sell during a down market like 20 AOA, and then even during a up market you want to figure out the best strategy for that property it could have been like hey before you sell it you should remodel it do this this and this and then sell it for the highest price using these people but if you don't know didn't plan then you might just be selling it uh, for on the penny right yep <laughs> Okay, what are some um, common mistakes that you see in before the people come to you? Like, what are some common mistakes that you see?
1: Well, we've covered a bunch of them in our conversation. Yeah, yeah. Having a will having a will that they haven't looked at for a long time, not really thinking about who should watch their kids and how all the things I've covered a couple of times with you. You know, mm-hmm. who should manage the money if something happens to you. If you die, you know, what, what should your wife do if she's not involved in the business? Who's a good buyer? Which assets should be sold? Um, you know, who do you trust managing money for your family if you're not here anymore? Um, you know, if you have a family business, which kid's going to get the business? Is, is it going to go to one? Is it going to go to more than one? Are they all in the business if they're not? How do you figure out how to protect each kid and treat them fairly? I mean, I could go on.
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah. So, okay, so we're about to wrap up the show. Uh, How do, like, for example, I know you work with a lot of wealthy professionals. Um, How about the people who are getting started or the middle-income earners who actually have a plan already but really want to review it, get it updated, figure out what's next steps for them? Do you work with them as well, with us?
1: Look, I, you know, when I'm on these podcasts, you know, people call me, I try to help everybody. I, you know, Most of the stuff I do is geared to people who have the substantial income or substantial wealth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the people that aren't in that, you don't really need a lot to save on taxes. You still may need to make some smart decisions, but you know, the sophistication isn't as necessary.
0: Okay, nice. I, yeah, definitely. So for those people, for us, normal, you know, uh, normal people not in the high net worth range yet, um, how do they vet the right planners to work with? Like, what questions should they be asking them to understand? Are they the right people to work with? I think you mentioned a couple of things where you uh, personally you asked, really good questions you really make people think about things before they do it and not just a basic template of like who does what but you mentioned that you you know ask all these specific questions which really makes the people think about it is that just like one of the rules they should look at when they're talking about planning with the right planner
1: well yeah I mean look some of it is qualitative you know it's not like black and white you have to feel out people Um, you know look obviously asking your accountant and attorney for people to help, or like an accountant for somebody to be a good lawyer in this area, uh, other successful business people that you know, asking them who they use. Um, if you have family that's successful, who do they use? And you should probably talk to more than one person. Talk to a couple of people. You know, meet with a couple of people. It's a it's an important decision. It's worth the time to 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 do that. And ask the person a little bit about what they've done themselves. You know, what's your philosophy? How have you handled some of these things? Good to hear how people have done their own planning.
0: That's a, that's a great point, yeah. If they don't have their own planning or they're not detailed enough to, under, to really elaborate on what they're doing and why they're doing it that way, then it's good to question, is that the right person for you then? hundred percent. Okay. And then how much time does this generally take for a, a normal person, a normal family to do this setup? And how much does it generally cost in, diff, in different markets? Well, look, for people who are doing more basic stuff, like, you know, they don't
1: have substantial wealth, it's more basic, but they want to deal with a lawyer that knows what they're doing. I mean, you could go to like legal Zoom and try to do some of these things, but if you want to deal with like a lawyer and you have, you know, some wealth, You know, I would say, you know, it could take you a couple of months to get all this done. And from a legal standpoint, you know, less than $5,000 generally to do all of this. You know, obviously, if you're going to buy insurance, then, you know, there's a cost for insurance to do it. For people who are doing sophisticated planning, it could take six months to a year. It's It almost never ends. It's like an ongoing thing and it can cost tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. It could cost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars in insurance if you wanna properly provide the liquidity for your taxes.
0: Nice. Yeah. Very good points. And glad to hear that too. And yeah, especially in the beginning, the the cost is not really too expensive. And it's actually just putting the time and effort into it and creating that value and the investing value to protect your family's assets and create that plan for them. So that way you don't have to deal with probate, for example, that can end up in like 70,000 plus or or more, you know, who knows um, exactly what you're doing and where you're located. That's a lot more expensive if you're not here and you didn't plan and letting the city deal with all your stuff, right? The state. (laughs) Correct. Cool. Okay, so how do people reach out to you to learn more and if they want to have questions and to talk about planning, especially high net worth people out there that are listening to the show? um, How do they reach out to you?
1: A couple of things. Number one, they can go to stephengoodman.biz and download a free book I've written on business succession for anybody who has like a family business or partners in business. And then my website is shgplanning.com. I have probably 70 articles on the site. Nice. Uh, and uh, my cell number, best place to reach me, 516-297-7390.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being on our show today. Uh, for everyone out there, check out our podcast, The Truth About Real Estate, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt.